0: Methodist Church Sermon Podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. This is the seventh and final week of Easter, and we are going to dive into the text of Paul and Silas getting arrested after uh, freeing a woman from the spirit of divination in Acts 16. A reminder that our services are available in their entirety on our YouTube page, and we would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast, that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available. You can subscribe using your favorite podcasting app. If you are feeling really generous, we invite you to help to support the missions and ministries at Beach Grove through your manners of giving. We have a link in the podcast notes in which you may give online. Lastly, find us on Facebook. lesson this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. One day, as they were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day, we would continue on this journey, uncovering our witness and speaking to you and about you with others. In your son's name we pray, amen. You know, our witness is probably one of the most important tools that we have in in our faith tool belt. Our witness is, is our story. It is the way in which we personally experience God, the way in which we tell the story of the resurrection. And last week, uh, our lay leader, Bob Fryler, who read our scripture this morning, kicked us off on this series of talking about witness. That as we move from this story of the first Easter, of the resurrection of Christ, and we explore it in this season of Eastertide, The nature in which we too recognize and understand the story of our witness. Right, Bob reminded us last week, we are not direct observance of the resurrection. We were not there at the empty tomb. I know, it it just, it is what it is. And yet, we can still have a story of the resurrection in our own hearts, in our own spirits, a story of the resurrection that we are called to share with others, Gaining it through stories, through scripture, through tradition, through our own experience of what it means to observe the resurrection. This witness that lives on, not just through our faith journey, but through the faith journey of millions of people all around us who have gone before us in the witness of faith, have given us these stories. Last week, we looked at this almost tenacious witness of the disciples during this sermon. um, I tried to take the notes from the original manuscript that I wrote, um, but sometimes I think the Spirit comes to us in different ways. As we reflected last week in our discussion about open hearts, I talked about a shooting in Buffalo, New York, a racially motivated attack in which we lost saw the loss of lives. And then coming again this Tuesday, closer and closer and closer to Jesus that give us a greater understanding of who he is, bringing us into this relationship with God. And so if the last two weeks, that is Easter and then that second Sunday of Easter, that's right, we're still in this Easter season. It's kind of like Christmas. It doesn't end on one day. That's the fun thing. We get a lot of Easter. But if these first two weeks, the resurrection and then our sermon last week were sort of introductions to this idea of witness, today we begin to build that witness. We begin to build an understanding of what it means to have a witness in our lives as we look at our next story here in the book of Acts. Right. We, if you open your Bibles, if you open your pew Bibles to Acts 9, you will see the title of this text, Saul's Conversion. And yet I hesitate you from really considering it a conversion. But more as a change of direction in faith. You see, Paul was a faithful man. Paul believed in God. And yet Paul... In connection with many who were a part of the Jewish tradition, felt like this set, this group of people that had formed around this man named Jesus, were a threat to the faith. Right What is happening to Saul is not as much a conversion, but a gaining of witness. Right These early Christians, they were not Christians. That's not how they were defined. They were defined as followers of the way. Right, Coming from from the book of John, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so they were followers of the way. They were this sect of Judaism that existed in this early biblical, early New Testament tradition. And so for all intents and purposes, they were Jewish. And yet they were changing the course of Judaism. They were changing the understanding of what it meant to be a Jew, and even to what it meant to be a human being we have to turn on the news see in our social media feeds hear in our conversations with others things that break our hearts things that cause our hearts to be troubled and the question becomes for us church what is our response what do we say in the midst of these terrible horrific tragedies what can we do enter the sermon that I wrote. I write my sermons on Monday and Tuesday. I like to have them done early on in the week, thinking boldly of myself. There is nothing in this world that will ever change a sermon. Friends, I've been a pastor for eight years. I cannot tell you how many times I've changed something in my sermon on a Saturday night. And yet... The words that I wrote early on this week seem to still ring true. Because I think about the witness of the resurrection we are called to offer as the church looks a lot like what happened to Paul and Silas here in the book of Acts today. You see, last week I reflected on that catchy slogan that the United Methodist Church offered up to us: open hearts, open minds, open doors. This week I offer up to you the mission of the United Methodist Church, the why that encapsulates our entire reason for being the church. For those of you who journeyed along in our visioning process, we heard about this why. We heard about this why because it's what fills us with passions to be able to live into the vision that God calls us to do, to begin to answer that question of how, to begin to look at the what's and the ministries that we offer if you were with us, Jason Stanley encouraged us to wrap ourselves around both the mission that is present in Scripture and the mission of the United Methodist Church to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. A mission statement that wraps up within us this, this scriptural, this biblical ideology that we as the church are called to something greater. We are not called to just have a passive faith where we sit idly by To learn, to grow, or to judge others. No, we are called to have an active faith that makes a difference in the world. It was very intentional when the Methodist Church chose that word, transformation, as a matter of change. Right? If we look in the dictionary, transformation is a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. Right? If we are called to transform the world, we are called to do the very work that is present throughout Scripture. We are called to turn this creation, to make this creation, to make all that are present in creation and to help in that kingdom-building work that God is calling us to do. At every turn, in every point of our lives, we are seeking to transform, to make this world the kingdom that God has called it to be. To love our neighbor and to make sure that our neighbors are loved. That is the inherent calling that we have in scripture and it's this bold proclamation that we see playing out right here in the second part of Acts 16 right as we see paul and silas they're continuing their ministry in macedonia they have not left that macedonian area this entire part of 16 they're in macedonia they're not necessarily in philippi but they're in that greater area that we talked about last week They are taking opportunities to preach, to teach, to witness to the folks in Macedonia. And what happens? They begin to be heckled by this woman. This woman who is noted has this spirit of divination in her. And yet what we are also told is that there are those in society who seek to profit off of, to take advantage of, to oppress this woman because of this spirit of divination. And we see as Paul and Silas encounter her, the ways in which our lives are changed, even even in the midst of something that may not seem right. Because we can look in this passage and we can see the way that Paul comes in and he almost lashes out at this demon within her to get out, lashes out at this woman. And yet, it is in that nature of spiritual liberation that that woman experiences that the true physical binding, the true physical chaining of this woman is highlighted. The true injustice is known by the nature in which the spirit leaves her, that spirit leaves her. And from that, we see Paul and Silas arrested, beaten, imprisoned, and in a moment of worship an earthquake appears and frees them. But no, 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 friends. They do not leave. They do not leave because they know that the physical imprisonment they experience is nothing compared to the physical imprisonment that others experience in this unjust society. They know that their freedom comes in the midst of freedom and liberation of others. Friends, Paul and Silas are causing good trouble. They are causing good trouble because they see what is happening in the world. And they want to correct it. They want to make it right. They want grace and mercy and peace to abide across all persons. And we even see in the aftermath of our scripture lesson today, if you read on in verses 35 and through 39, not only do they offer a witness and testimony to the jailer who puts them in there, but when the magistrates even try to release them, They seek to witness to the magistrates, to know that they are not in there for no simple reason, but they know that as they continue to do God's work, that this will not be the end. And they will continue to help, to fight, and to witness for those who need it. I love that phrase, good trouble. I'm one who gets in trouble a lot. Ask my mother. More than I should, but also about the right amount. Good trouble, as civil rights leader John Lewis would have called it. In March of 2020, he gives this speech from the top of the Edmund Pettus Bridge, a place where in 1976 he was beaten almost to death, skull almost crushed in. And he says to a gathering of youth, get in good trouble, necessary trouble, hear those words ringing in my mind each and every day. The words in 2020 by John Lewis, a culmination of a life of good trouble. A man who's stuck by his convictions to fight to make sure that we live in a just and an equitable society. A devout man of faith, bringing the words of his biblical traditions into how he makes sure that human life is valued, cared for. That we do not just throw lives away because we think that something else is more important. But that we look face to face, we see one another, and we lift one another up. This is trouble that fights for freedom, fights for liberation, and leads to this transformational nature of God's kingdom. I love this quote because it highlights the nature in which we are called to be the church. We're called to cause good trouble. Why? Because we know that this place can be better. We know that we don't have to live in the world where innocent people can be gunned down just for going to school, just for being at a school. We know that people don't have to get gunned down just for being black, just for being gay, just for being anything else. We know that as a church, we can be better. We know that this can be a better place. We don't have to sit back. And think that our faith is just gonna magically make everything better. We know that just praying about a situation is not gonna magically bring those kids back. It's not gonna magically stop the violence. Friends, we have to do something. We have to cause good trouble. Because if we do not, then this is gonna keep on happening. We are going to continue to see these things happen over and over and over again in our society. Unless we stand up and do the things that will help to stop them. Unless we be the bridge that helps to make others know that they are loved, that they are valued, that they are cared for. That the very nature of human life is worth anything and everything. Because, friends, it is so difficult to drive into a school parking lot, to let your child go into that school and not know whether they are going to come home that night. I didn't fully realize it until this time. It's that good trouble we're called to cause. Trouble with justice. Trouble that calls us to do the right thing. Trouble that brings us into the nature in which God has called us to live. And you know what? Sometimes society isn't going to like us. Sometimes society will throw us in jail. Sometimes we will be demonized by others for standing up for what is right. Friends, it's all right here in Scripture. Right? When we stand up for what is right, what is just, what is true, when we stand up for the kingdom and we do the work that God calls us to do, that is the life that we are called to live. That is the way we are called to embark on this journey in the world. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of sitting on the side. I'm tired of being passive when I need to be active. I'm tired of watching friends, family, strangers throughout the world be victims to pain and suffering in all ways, shapes, and forms. So I'm going to cause good trouble. Someone might have to come bail me out of jail. Because, friends, there's no other way to live our faith. There should be no other response. There should only be action to make sure that this is the best society, the best kingdom that God has intended it to be. Not just here in Suffolk, but all over the world. So what's that good trouble that God's calling you towards? Amen in God's creation. If I sit here and I ask, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? What is the nature of Jesus that lives inside you? What are the experiences? What is the witness that has defined your faith? And when we open ourselves up to that, we gain a greater understanding, a greater knowledge of faith. And it gives us that moment, just like Saul, to pause and hear the voice because without that, Paul probably would not have listened to Ananias. And I have this quote from, from Daryl Stevens that really invites us to consider that to bear witness is to unburden our neighbors from the agony of an untold story. Right? We're called to be present and attentive, to hear one another's story, and then to care for that story as if it were our own. The story of faith is one in which we acknowledge the witness of those around us. Acknowledge the hurt, acknowledge the pain, acknowledge the suffering...